I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who might stop by to ask for a cup of slab. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Uh, yes, I'd like a cup of slab, please. Just, just a cup. <laughs> Not too much. I ran out this morning. You wouldn't believe it. Okay, it is show number 447 for September 24th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to talk about hard versus soft maple, jack or smoother, router bit storage, and smoky mortise bits. That sounds delicious. Uh, so let's get right into the stuff here. We've got a kickback from a gentleman named Matt Gerber. He says, Hey guys, I was texting with my buddy who built a log home in Alaska. He finished it with Q8 log oil. It applies in one coat and he used two. And it's toxic to termites and powder post beetles. I've never heard about this product being talked about for an outdoor application. So I thought I would share it. And uh, I looked it up. It's on Amazon. Um, there, the, the link that he gave us is a five-gallon pail. And I guess if you're doing a log home, that's why you would want five gallons of this stuff. Um, yeah. And it is 269 bucks for the five gallon thing. Now, I, I guess if they make this in smaller quantities, it might be something worth looking into for outdoor applications, outdoor furniture, but it says stops decay, fungi and mold, toxic to termites, powder post beetles, superior water repellency, EPA registered wood preservative and rot control. So interesting. Um, I don't know anything hmm. about it other than what I just read. Interesting. I'd like to like see what it looks like. Like what is it? <clears throat> it's yeah, just it like tar. Like? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's actually just spreading suffo- a tarry paste. It's over just the uh it's suffocating the creatures that are living in the woods. Right. <laughs> uh interesting <laughs> stuff. But yeah. Looks like oh yeah, well is that expensive? What what's that down to the gallon? What's that divided by five? I guess it's what not, was it again? What was the like price? Two sixty nine. That's not too bucks, bad. Right? No. No, I mean you it's pretty reasonable. What's like a gallon of like a general finishes product? Sixty dollars? Seventy dollars? Seven hundred dollars? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's expensive. Um, all right, so let's get into our email then. Uh, I guess that kickback was an email. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> Ryan says, hello, guys. I'm trying to get the shop organized to make tools and materials more accessible. I'm currently designing a cabinet for router bit storage, and I'm trying to design something that will provide space for size and or profile descriptions for each of the router bits. I have researched a number of designs and com- uh, and commercial products including Mark's recent build, and it seems as though no one includes this detail. Why don't people find this information important to have with the bit? Is it not necessary? I'm always checking the details of my bits to make sure I have the correct size. For example, the difference between a three-quarter and a 23-32nd bit. Uh, Curious on your thoughts. Well, Ryan, I think a lot of this is just laziness. Like in a lot of of ways... We're leading with that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> in a lot of ways, we're talking about um, those my the sort of minute uh, shop detail setup things. You know, like if you have enough time 
to sit there and develop a router bit case that allows you to put descriptions and things like that. That's nice. I think everybody would appreciate that, but I think most folks are just going to drill a bunch of holes in a two by four and say router storage done, you know? So it's like, uh, it's that extra step and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Uh, for me, I could say the reason why I haven't really done it. Yes. Laziness, but also I do put a lot of effort into shop organization things when I feel like I'm going to get a lot back out of it. Uh, and part of the thing is a lot of the weird stuff that I use, if it's an off bit, I, I have one. So like I use a 14 degree dovetail bit quite a bit. So I don't really have other dovetail bits in my main collection. So I don't need to know that that's 14 and not 12 because that's the one I always use and it's always 14. Uh, my roundover bits, if I, I, I mean, I can visually tell the difference between most of them. Uh, but one that I use really commonly is an eighth inch radius roundover bit. And I know which one that is. So I grab it. So I don't necessarily need to label that one. So realistically, there are only a few bits in my collection that I would need to have a label for uh, the rest. Of and them there's the root cause at. right there. People have drawers of router bits and they only use three of them. <laughs> right. Exactly. The ones you need and the ones you use the most frequently, you know what they are. Uh, so you don't necessarily need it. The ones that are still clean, you don't need to know what those are because you're just never going to use them. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is if you've got one of those uh, kits, you know, that, that actually comes with the case and you can hang it on the wall, uh, those tend to give you like all of the little baby incremental size differences and you're going to have, you know, six roundover bits and, uh, you know, uh, 20 different straight bits. That's when that stuff comes in handy. But if you're buying your bits based on actual usage, you're probably not going to have quite as much variety in there. So you don't necessarily need the labels to survive, but Hey dude, if, if you, you have the time to do this and this is something you want to do, um, I'd love to see what you come up with. It's a very smart thing to do. There's nothing wrong with it. That's for sure. Uh, okay. I think some of the manufacturers have like the part numbers stamped on the shank too. So if you have one like that, then you don't even need it. You can look up the details based on that part number mm-hmm. anytime you're like, I don't know what bit this is. I have done that many, many times with Eagle America bits because they have uh, yeah. their numbers are very like it's obvious that it's an Eagle America mm-hmm. part number. Um, and I have done that search many times mm-hmm. to go, which one is this? So, yes. So, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's right. He's right. And here's the thing, though. If you design this to leave room and include space for descriptions and sizes, that means you're going to actually probably have a design that takes up more space. Like, you know, I would imagine you just need more room yeah. to do Unless that. Unless you do like a like a look up, like a lookup binder or something where you like number everything. What does it mean? Oh, exactly yeah, the same yeah. as looking at the part number. So you have a reference. You have like a little little binder underneath you like open it up and flip through the pages you find bit number 46 or whatever let me check my role same process as going to the internet or better yet man just like qr code everything and then you just scan it with your phone (laughs) be like which which bit is this uh yeah there you go that's a good idea but i think honestly if you're designing this let's say it does take a little bit more uh space to allow for those descriptions and those labels well, maybe, I don't know, let's say a quarter of your bits, you might need those descriptions, but what about the other three quarter of your collection where you don't need that? So now you're actually taking up more space for bits that you, you don't necessarily need a label for. So it might not be as practical. I don't know. But anyway, I'd love to see what you come up with. It, it sounds pretty cool. Basically, it looks like a display case at uh, Woodcraft or Rockler. <laughs> right. Well, I you know what? what you're looking for. Sometimes you can get those things used, you know, buy, buy true. A, a used commercial display <laughs> case and you're good to go. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I I remember a school I I, I taught at once. Um, I believe it was American Sycamore, maybe. Um, they had one of those floor display units that you would find oh, yes. in a woodworking store, right? <laughs> so it's 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 just floor standing, has the big glass window on it, and all the bits are just kind of tiered. It was a really cool setup for for a, a you know woodworking school. It made a lot of sense. There you, there you go. I remember I had one of those things like that. I, you know, the whole box and I hung it on the wall. And usually to me, that was an indication that those are lower quality bits. Cause it was like, <laughs> I bought it for $25 and I got 30 <coughs> router bits, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, take your life in your hands when you chuck one Cheap, of those things uh, up. Chinese made <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is a question from, no, Mike. Uh, He says, other than the obvious, what is the difference between soft maple and hard maple? What are the typical uses for each? I'm assuming when he says other than the obvious, he's referring to the hardness. Because <laughs> is that obvious? I don't know. What are, what are the differences other than the obvious ones? Well, what are the obvious differences? Because I think a lot of people would have a hard time telling them apart. Um, 
hard yeah. maple and soft maple. It's certainly, I guess the obvious one would be, yes, there is a hardness difference. Hard maple is like 1450 pounds per square inch on the Janka scale and soft maple is 950 ish. And the reason I say ish is soft maple is more of a trade term for a whole bunch of different species. Mm-hmm. Um, sugar maple, um, rock maple, that's hard maple, Acer saccharum. Um, soft maple can be Sometimes, it's, depending on where it's coming from, it could be big leaf maple, it could be red maple, it could be brown maple, purple maple, yellow maple, whatever. It's just a whole bunch of different maples maple that maple? aren't hard maple. Yeah. Pleather. Pleather maple. Pleather maple? No, it's not genuine maple. It's pleather maple. Um, so it, it, there's, there is a, a pretty big difference in hardness, and that's one of the primary reasons that one gets used over the other. Um, you know, if you're, you're making a countertop and you want a really durable hard surface, hard maple seems to be the, the way to go. Um, soft maple, it's, it's a nice species if you need a white wood, a white hardwood um, that isn't going to be quite so brutal on the tools. Um, there is a little bit more. I find it to be actually whiter than the hard maple. Hard maple has a little bit more of a yellowish amber tinge to it. Um, which is interesting considering soft maple is also known as red maple and it's called red maple because of the little red lines in it that give it kind of a pinkish hue. But I still find the whole thing to be a little bit whiter. You'll also find that a lot of your figure comes out of your soft maple species. Um, But in the end, people want a white wood. You can sometimes get soft maple a little bit cheaper. Sometimes you can get it in slightly different sizes than you can in hard maple. And the customers that I have that explicitly say I have to have soft maple over hard maple, if you ask them why, they will not be able to answer it. (laughs) So (laughs) it's one of those things that I think the reason they use it is because it's what we've always done. Um, I want something. And, you know, if you dig in, they'll say, well, I I wanted something that was a little easier to work than hard maple. Is it really that big of a difference between 1400 and 950 Janka? Well, yeah, if you're working nothing but hand tools, yes, that's a big difference. I don't use hard maple for that reason. It's kind of a pain in the butt with hand tools, um, but there's not a huge difference. So I would say if you can get the sizes that you want and the price is good, buy whatever species you can get. Unless, of course, you really need that hardness quotient for like a countertop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Go with whatever's available. Good. Awkward silence. <laughs> I just wanted to see if Matt would be able to just transition to his questions. No, of course not. Be better than Matt. <clears throat> and you failed. I was, I was taking a nap. All right, jeez. Yeah, Matt still right. needs the video where we take a drink after. Yeah, where he can see. So, He's got a visual cue. I haven't seen you guys in so long. I, I have no idea what you even look like. Ah, the same. Uh, this is from Bill. He says I have about forty mortise holes for drawer fronts I'm building. The bit keeps getting hot and smoking. I've already ruined one bit already. The end is blue from the heat and it's lost its temper. What am I doing wrong? Uh, I don't know. Good question. Uh, if it's getting hot like that, it's very possible that the the chips are collecting in there and you don't have a whole lot of clearance for chip evacuation. Uh, mortise holes. So are you just drilling straight up holes by just plunging the bit straight down? I've always had that be kind of I don't know, a little bit trickier. You have to really kind of come in and out, give it some space to clear the chips and come back out of the cut. I know that happens when I do like an actual mortise. Mark likes to do that start and stop whole thing. I can never get that to work because oh, I always really? end up with smoke <clears throat> yeah. all the time. <laughs> you suck. So, yeah. Start and stop I, thing. You mean like hit the two extents and then plow out the stuff in the middle? Or yeah, what do you yeah, mean by that's that? That's exactly yeah, that what thing. it means. Yeah, yeah. Hit okay. the extents, plunge all the way down. Maybe Mark just does shallower mortises than I do. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just better at it. it anyway. Could it be that his auger bit is is like uptight to the mortise chisel? It's like you're supposed to have that little bit of space where the 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 bit the auger bit extends below the chisel. So in other words, like you said, Matt, there's space for the chips to clear. Well, well, hold he's on, got hold it, on. Like, let's flush in the, there. Let's clarify. Is he talking about a hollow chisel mortiser or a router? Oh, I thought I thought router. I was thinking a router too. Oh, so when not. China mentioned hollow chisel mortise, I'm like, wait a minute, he could be talking about that. But well, I, yeah, I was thinking didn't he say the bit was blue. Yeah, the end is blue from the. Oh well, he could be talking about, router, be talking about I, router. I went to a hollow chisel mortise there. The end is blue from the heat and it lost its mm. temper. Pete, oh. 
Because, I mean, that could be if it's a holochism order, sir, you can't just like bear down on the thing. You know, it's not a high speed tool. And if your auger is is up tight into that mortar, into that chisel, you're going to build up so much heat there. Yeah. So that, that auger's got to be – I used to – I had like a little like shim that was sitting on on the bench on the, the fence of my mortiser. And I would just use that to set the space um, between the, the auger and the, the – um, what's the thing called? The chisel. Yeah. <laughs> that may be the, the first thing. But again, if he's talking about a router – I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with the router be. on this one. I think if you're using a hollow chisel mortiser and you're asking a question of, of a show, you're probably going to say that just because it's, it's such a specific tool. I, I would only assume that he's using mm-hmm. a bit here. You know what have you, what, what is the application here? Is he, is he mortising for pulls or something? Why is he mortising drawer fronts? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that's not the, the question he's asking us. <laughs> but well, I mean, here's the thing: if his bit is getting dull, you know, we don't know the age of the bit. Uh, if he's using like a down spiral bit, and a lot of times it's just the the movement. If he's just slow and methodical in how he's doing this, and you're leaving that bit just spinning there, it heats up. And you, a lot of times, you yeah. just like you're saying with the plunging, you got to kind of go down and up and down and up. You, you don't want it to sit still for very long at all. Every time that bit sits still, that's where the heat buildup happens. And the problem is once it starts going, it is almost like it's it, it's going to happen every time. And especially once you start, you know, bluing the bit, you're in trouble. So it feels like the, yeah. it's either something wrong with the bit or something wrong with the technique. I often found that the bluing was also like quickly accelerated from a dirty bit. Yes. Because like there's pitch buildup oh, yeah. and stuff. Yep, for sure. Huge amounts of heat gets caught in there. And then the bluing is actually a result from that. Or in some instances, what looks like bluing can just be schmutz, you know, that true, needs true. to be cleaned off. So, and that, of course, is going to make it run hotter and then it's going to cause the temper to be drawn out. Yeah. Also, the species, who knows what he's using, uh, if he's using a, a really dense wood species that's just uh, temperamental and eats up the bits a lot faster. That could be a factor, but uh, I'd like to see a video of him doing this because I think that would tell us a lot about what might be going on. Yeah. yeah. And we'll play it's it on our audio show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone will love listening to that video. <laughs> we could just, <laughs> he's Whoa, pushing the router really now. Stuff. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Uh, I think, what, is this me now? I didn't put names on these. What a dummy. I don't know. Okay, I'll read it. Uh, this is from Robert. He says, I'm only a few years into woodworking and always hunting for new tools. I just snagged a Harbor Freight hollow. Hey, speak of speaking of the devil of Har- hey. Harbor Freight hollow chisel mortiser for 20 bucks. While I know it's go. not the best, I couldn't pass it up. It's clean and it runs great. My question is, when is it better to use a mortiser over a router with a straight bit? What a great segue oh. question. We're just talking about controversies and like <laughs> things like that. Yes. Uh, you know what? I'm more of the router guy and I would say Matt is more of the hollow chisel mortiser guy. So and Shannon's more of the mortise chisel guy. Yeah. We've got, we're covering the whole spectrum here. Uh, <laughs> but I would have gone on the router side because I got rid of my hollow chisel mortiser. Thinking, this is stupid. I have a router. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I can square up the ends with a chisel, folks. I don't. I don't yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'll I'll quickly defend the router, Matt. Why don't you defend the the mortiser? And let's just focus on the reasons why you like it. Uh, I like the router because it leaves nice clean walls. Uh, generally speaking, the the hollow chisel mortiser uh, tends to chew up the walls a little bit. It's a little bit more sensitive to being out of calibration. If it's slightly skewed, you kind of get choppiness. Whether that actually impacts the final fit and the integrity of the joint is up for debate. Uh, but I do like to see a straight walled, you know, nice clean walled mortise. Uh, I find it really versatile because now I'm bringing the router to the tool and, or I'm sorry, the router to the wood instead of the wood to the tool. So I can get that router in some really oddball places. And a lot of the motions that I use to perfect making a mortise with a router, um, uh, come in really handy for doing other things. For instance, making mortises on the end grain of a board, something that I wouldn't be able to do with a hollow chisel mortiser. Um, the technique I'm, I'm using is applicable to the end grain as well. I just have to jig it up properly and, and make it all make sense. Um, and and I, I think I actually addressed this on uh, Friday live last night uh, is that I, I tend to use 
a method that is is as applicable as possible. Most woodworkers have a router. So if I'm going to teach a method, teaching it with the, the router makes the most sense to me, which is a sort of wild card answer <laughs> because that doesn't affect, <laughs> you know, use whatever makes the most sense for you. For me, I have other uh, parts, you know, other things affecting my decision on what I use. Um, so what, what would you say benefits for you, Matt, for using the hollow chisel mortiser? Uh, just besides the fact that I just like it and I enjoy it. And it's just why, but why? It's kind of I, I don't mark. I don't have to justify why I do things that are things that I like. Okay. Yes, you do. I'm if we're answering a question myself. for someone. <laughs> no, well, I I think it's just cool that you can drill a square hole. That's pretty. That's pretty fancy. Mind blowing in itself. Yeah. Uh, the one advantage that I that I have to have that I have to point out for the hollow chisel mortiser versus the router is going to be deep mortises. Mm-hmm. If you want to do like a two-inch deep mortise, that's going to be a little bit trickier with the router. I'm not saying you can't do it, but you're going to be going. That's a lot of passes back and forth. You're going to have to have a pretty long bit to do that. It could be a little bit dicier. I'd, I'd be hard pressed to pull that off. That's that's tricky. But a two-inch deep mortise on a mortiser is the same as a one-inch or three-quarter. Just plunge more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, do you have it. a hollow chisel mortiser that has the lateral adjustment on it? Lateral adjustment, side to side. You mean, you mean like you just I rotate? Know, the I know. Thing? I know what lateral is. <laughs> okay, sorry. When, it, when like, it, uh, without uh, having to unclamp it, can you advance the you know go left to right on the mortise? Uh, let me. I had a jet benchtop mortiser, and the only thing you could do was plunge up and down, and then you had to slide the actual workpiece over to do the adjacent cut, and then slide the workpiece oh, over to do gotcha. the adjacent cut. And the clamp thing never worked like it did, so I always had to clamp it to the fence. And it was just such a royal pain in the you-know-what to have to unclamp it, shift it over, <laughs> you know, clamp it again, plunge the thing down. And then I realized that, like, nicer mortisers have the, a wheel adjustment that actually moves yeah, the whole yeah, bed the table, left and XY right. It's usually yeah. your floor standing versus your bench top versions. Floor standings right. typically have those adjustments. The one and I, I mean, that's like the medic. primary reason I ditched it because it was such a royal pain. You know, it took so much longer than a router because with a router, I just plunged it and moved it to the end of my line and, you know, I was good to go. Uh, the one I have has this, like the clamping feed roller things. Mm. So it's got this little roller which you push up into the workpiece which holds the piece against the fence, but you can still move it left and right <laughs> easily. <laughs> so it's holding it to the fence and then you just kind of move it wherever you need it to go for the, the next hole. Is that what that does? You know, I I traded my. Is my, that what that does? <laughs> <laughs> I traded my because you have the Powermatic, right? Yeah, the uh, bench up one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I traded my big floor standing uh, mortiser just because I don't use it. It was just taking up space. <clears throat> Sold slash traded it for a bench top version, and I haven't really used it yet. But I looked at those roller clampy things. I'm like, what's the deal with these stupid things? <laughs> and I realized, oh, okay, so it's basically it's like a pressure roller. Keeping pressure yeah. against the fence, you could still move it, but you have to be very deliberate about moving it left to right, but it can do that yep. so you don't have to take the clamping pressure off. It'll hold it against the fence so your <clears throat> your mortise doesn't end up like further away from the edge or whatever mm-hmm. inadvertently. Genius. But you can still move it back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. I'm gonna go You're look welcome. at it we're done here. Mark's changing <laughs> his answer. <laughs> no, I'm not changing my answer. I will say one of the things that you didn't mention, someone I think alluded to it, but the the square ends. Um, when I do a router cut mortise, chances are that the yeah. tenon's still going to be made at the table saw. So now I have to round the ends of my tenon or square the mortise to make those things work together. Uh, hollow chisel mortiser, you don't have that problem. You could just uh, take a square true. square tenon and pop it right in there. I did the mortises on the sideboard with the router, and I was like, God, this is why I do use the mortiser. Because I have to spend another, like, it's not that long, like 10 minutes or so rounding over tenons to go into mortises. Yeah. Like, I got... I got better things to do than chisel and rasp and make it look pretty for a video. Ain't got time for that. Doing, I, just, I would just knock them back and cut them short or whatever. Done. I guess that's a possibility too. <laughs> just <laughs> don't make them as wide. Uh, okay. So what else we have here? Um, why don't you read this last one here? Last email, uh, Matt. Who are you talking to? You, the guy who doesn't uh, talk as much as the other guy. I don't need to talk that much. The things I say are just <laughs> That's right. so amazing. Everything is so uh-huh. impactful. You don't want to overdo it. <laughs> you want me to read a question that's addressed, addressed to you? Addressed to you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. 
This is from Jeff. It says, Mark, I noticed using the Incra miter sled in one of your videos. Based on your experience, what would you say are the best features, fit, form, function of the unit, and would you recommend it to others? Thanks, guys. Yes, the show is the first thing I think of when woodworking is brought up. Not Roy, not Norm. So kudos for leaving the impression. All right. Wow. First in mind. That's what we're here for. That's great. Right. Uh, okay, so Incra 5000, you know, me of all people, I'm the kind of guy who would do something like this. I would I would take, you know, the classic first thing that the power tool woodworker builds to accessorize his shop as a shop-built item, the classic cross-cut sled, and find a way to spend money on it so that I, oh. so that I don't have to build it. Like, that's, that's what I specialize in. Um, that's on brand for you. Yeah. So look, it, 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 it took a while before I, I was on this train and it was the guild that did this to me. There were people in the guild talking about the Incra miter experience. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Press, and I've had an Incra... Um, uh, what you call it, uh, miter gauge for a long time. And I really, really like it. I mean, they're, they're very popular and they're the, uh, high quality and people are, you know, sort of a very well-respected miter gauge for a reason. It's really good. And then people started talking about the miter express and then the 5,000 and then my, you know, gears are turning and, you know, crosscut sleds are good, but they do go out right once in a while they go out of whack and then you've got to tune them up, getting them set up perfectly. A lot of times if your fence isn't dead on straight, if the base isn't dead on flat, like these are things that just kind of haunt you, uh, over time with these shop built jigs. So not that that's a big deal, but you know, it's, it's do you want to deal with it or don't you? So I was like, you know, this Incra thing looks good. You could do all kinds of angles on it. The advantage is it's not locked down at 90, uh, and I'm not really in the mood to make one of those, like, Nick Ferry style, um, yeah. you know, like the <laughs> ultimate uh, cross-cut sled. I don't feel like doing that. Um, so you can do all kinds of angles. It's, you know, dead on 90. So I'm like, all right, let me give this thing a shot. Is it really worth it? I'll keep my sleds around through, you know, four or five projects, and if at the end of this I don't want to use my homemade sleds, then this thing is a keeper. And that's where I'm at now. I don't actually have any of my original crosscut sleds. They're all gone uh, because I use the 5,000 for everything. Uh, what I love about it is it just, it's locked in at 90 and that's primarily what I use it for. And it doesn't move. And, and here's the thing. If it does move, it's like two seconds to adjust it. I don't have to take screws out and create new screw holes to screw the fence into the, the, the next position. That's all out. We're just talking about hardware now. Um, and so it's easy to adjust. It's easy to keep square. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really well made. It's expensive and you're, you're paying for the privilege uh, of this type of adjustability and reliability. And I know I can count on this thing to be square. And if I notice anything going out slightly, it takes two seconds for me to calibrate it and boom, I'm ready to go again. So I absolutely love it. The only limitation one might say exists there is maybe you can't do as large of a panel on that, um, that you might be able to do on a shop made crosscut sled, but in four to five projects that hasn't been an issue for me because most of my big panels, I'm actually cutting those, uh, like on the MFT, uh, which is like just built for that. I can get a 24 inch panel on that thing with no problem. Uh, and once I have a square corner, then I'm using the table saw to do a parallel cut anyway. So it doesn't really matter that much for my workflow. So I'm going to give a big thumbs up to the Incra 5000. I think it's fantastic. And if you're, if you're, you're in the market to just buy a, a good quality solution, I think it's a great one to, uh, to pick up. 
That's a hell of an investment. <clears throat> it really is. But wow, I'm looking at it now. But it's good. It's really good. <clears throat> it's but good. It's so good. Uh, okay, so we got a couple of co-answer questions here. Um, it says Jack or smoothing plane. Is there more to it, or is that the? Should I read the? No, next? it's. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll take it. That's it's like a it's title. The, I'm I'm summarizing the next question uh, from okay. Greg. Then you do um, it. Then. Oh. Yeah, he says, I watch a ton of videos produced by professional woodworkers, and they seem to all own a couple of low-angle hand planes, the adjustable mouth block plane, and either a low-angle bench smoothing plane or a low-angle jack plane. The block plane I already own, so the other choice is what's riling me. I have friends who are professional furniture makers, and they differ on that choice. So I ask the three wood baristas, do you have a preference? (laughs) And if you do, what are they and why? So... Low angle jack or smoothing, low angle smoothing plane, or just jack or smoothing plane. Like if you had, you've got your block plane already. What's the next plane? <coughs> you know that that you're reaching for. There's the question. And I can kick this off, I suppose. Yeah, but do it. I I fall on the smoothing plane side of things. Um, there's a there's a lot of other details that are important here. Like if you are somebody who's going all hand tools, then yes, the jack plane is going to be more utility for you. It's going to allow you to rough a lot of boards into shape. But the smoothing plane, let's face it, it cuts down on sanding. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're looking for. And a lot of guys who are running hybrid shops are using other tools, power tools to dimension their lumber. There's also a lot of people who are buying material that's already S2S. So that heavy lifting stuff that you might need with a jack plane it's not really as important anymore. Maybe at some point it will be in your woodworking career, but I think you're going to get more mileage from having a really well-tuned smoothing plane that can allow you to get finish-ready surfaces. The low, the smaller size of it, is, it's more agile and easier to learn how to use, kind of like the question we had on previously about the guy who was struggling with his low-angle jack. It's just a bigger thing that can be a little bit more temperamental. So I go on the smoother. Um... Mm. I would. This is a question that I find hard to answer without being able to ask Greg yeah. a couple of questions. Because the thing is, you're right. If your task is primarily smoothing and you just want to save sandpaper and cut down the amount of surface prep prior to finishing, uh, that smoother is going to be your best choice. But if you want to use this plane to do other things and you don't want to have a wall of planes dedicated to different tasks, that's where I find the jack plane to be fantastic because it can do a lot of different things. So I'll use my jack to joint the edges of boards that are being temperamental and I'm not getting good results at the jointer. Uh, Or sometimes it's a small board, you know, that I'm just trying to take a quick pass. Uh, I find the jack planes wider, or I'm sorry, longer sold to be useful for some of those small jointing tasks, but it can also be used to do some smoothing at the same time. Or, uh, you know, maybe I do a little tabletop uh, glue up or a big tabletop like my desk, for instance. And I wasn't really looking to get a dead flat surface, but I did the glue up and, you know, just the natural thing that happens with a big panel glue up like that, there's some undulation in the top. So before I hit it with my scrapers and, and sanders, I use the jack to just kind of cleave off all the, the, the hills and just hit all those tops. And I wouldn't have wanted to do that with a smoothing plane. That was something I wanted to do with the jack. So I think it just depends on which part of this process you plan on using these planes in. I don't think there is a right answer. I think it just depends on what you do and how you're going to use it. I think they both have sure there is. some validity. My answer was right. Yours is wrong. That's true. That is true. <laughs> Shannon is always right. So, uh, Matt, why don't you break the tie? Oh, you can do that to me? I am, yes. Uh, oh, so okay. Matt, well, Matt already says he hates his low angle jacks. So yeah. Well, I, 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 I said it depends, thing. but I'm going to say, and this is influenced by the way that I work, my answer will be the jack plane. So now you could break the tie. Yeah, smoothing <laughs> plane. Okay, so then don't don't listen to Matt because he's wrong. <laughs> You're not the tiebreaker anymore. I know, I know. I never was to begin with. You just said that to make me feel good about myself. Explain. Well, you like the smoother. Why? How, how do you use it in your work? Uh, I like for tweaking and like tune up stuff. Uh, I don't. I've honestly the only time I've reached for a jack plane, I have an actual like regular. I guess regular angle jack, you know, bevel down yeah. jack that I bought with my my original smoother, my number four. And I found myself gravitating towards the number four all the time. And that jack plane, I only used when I first bought it because I just bought it. I should probably like 
playing a scrap board for fun. But after that, I'm like, I don't, I just really gravitated towards the shorter length of that smoother because it just seems to be like more in tune with the work thing to do, which is just, you know, take a little shaving off the edge of a board here or there, maybe do a little surface prep here or there, just little things like that. And I don't ever find myself going towards that jack plane length because I just don't need that intermediate length for anything. Um, Even the low angle jack, the only time I use that is because you say it's so awesome and I should try it. So I bought it (laughs) and I have it there. First times I'm like, yeah, let me just see if this is actually still not that good. But Look for at me, me, the I'm low angle like thing, Mark. I just, I don't like the feeling of the low angle for one. That's like the, that's my biggest personal <clears throat> grief with it is I don't like the feeling. So I'm so used to the traditional plane yeah. with the frog, with the thing up there, your fingers can go on. My hand feels so weird floating up there in space. I don't like it. It feels wrong. I hate it. That's you guys that. are weird. That's just my own thing. You're weird. And I feel like for... <laughs> For like longer stuff, if I'm gonna be jointing an edge, I I gravitate towards a much longer actual jointing plane because I actually I enjoy using those because they're just like giant steamrollers. They have so much mass and momentum, and they're just fun to use. Sure. So I don't have an intermediate plane need, I guess. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the morning phlegm. Uh, okay, well that's fine. You can you can feel that way. Um, <laughs> Okay. Good job, Matt. Good, Good job. Go. Good job expressing Woo. your opinion. Uh, Alan wrote in. He says, "Do you make your own dowels, like for pinning breadboard ends? And if so, what is your preferred method for making them?" I, I haven't done a lot of this, but I do have a Lee Nielsen uh, dowel plate that works pretty well, and my method is pretty simple. I just kind of take a chunk of wood and chop it, like rive it. Let the natural grain, um, you know, points of separation, let it split where it wants to split and try to whittle, whittle that thing down to the right size. And then I usually will start with the largest hole on the dowel plate that I could fit it through and then work my way down to the desired size uh, slowly. I, I also tend to uh, either with a chisel or like a, you know, razor box cutter knife, something uh, sharpen the end so that it's more narrow at the tip. And this way you can just kind of easily fit it into those various holes and, and pop it through. Um, is there a different technique than that? No. Or a dowel plate? <clears throat> I guess. Other, You know, if you're going to make your own dowels, are there other techniques that are used? I know, don't some people chuck it in a drill and, and drive it through the dowel plate that way? I've never been able to get it to work. <clears throat> Me either, actually. Through the dowel plate? Yeah, so yeah, you basically chuck it up into a big idea. old drill and just kind of, as you're putting downward pressure, you're just kind of spinning that thing and pushing huh. it through the dowel plate. Seems like that would cause more tearing. Because, the, I mean, the dowel plate is not, it's a scraper. You know, it's just a, it's a not quite, not quite 90 degree steel collar. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you were driving it through, like, like a, a conical rounder or something like that actually has a blade at a skew angle and it works like a big pencil sharpener. Yeah, that makes sense. But I would think spinning it, it would put so much torque on that. I guess it depends upon the diameter of the peg, but I'd be worried about tearing up the peg. Yeah. But no, I, I do the same thing you do. I guess the, the interesting thing is, is when do I use like commercial dowels? Like if I'm draw boring something, absolutely i will make my own peg because like you said mark i need that riven strength to bend around like a a draw bore offset but if i'm like say i decided i'm going to do rabbits and 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 pins for a drawer a lot of times i will use a commercial dowel there just because you know i I have to make some test holes and certainly make sure i've got the right bit for that dowel because just because the dowel says it's three eighths doesn't mean it's three eighths for that matter. Just because the drill bit says three eighths doesn't mean it's going to be a fit. So you have to make a couple test holes to make sure you get that good fit. But for stuff like that, where it's, it's not really, there's no other stresses on the peg, like a draw bore. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a commercial dowel is just a heck of a lot easier to, instead of having to make a bunch of my own pegs. Sure can be. Okay. Uh, let's see. So we do, uh, have a stuff we hate segment. Hope it'll be good and not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out though. The internet's a big, big blaze. Some stuff is good, some stuff is great. Some things really suck, and that's the stuff we hate. Stay away from that sucky stuff. Let's keep the internet great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so. 
Stuff we hate. This is uh, this is not necessarily something I hate. That's a really strong word. I try to get my kids not to say the word hate, or at least you know mm-hmm. reserve it for really important things. Um, this is something that I'm just I'm personally a little bit concerned about because part of my job, part of what I do, is talking about products and reviewing products, and the way things are are going now. I, I'm, I feel like the amount of trust that we put in content creators to give an honest, um, honest feedback that is uninfluenced by, you know, other factors, it's kind of eroding a little bit for a couple different reasons. <clears throat> uh, one of those reasons is number one, companies are becoming a little bit more savvy and they are learning that if you throw product at people, they will talk about them. And a lot of times, you know, people in my position uh, will will get, I should say our position, all three of us, uh, they, they get a free product and if you like it, you'll talk about it. And for the cost of that product, it sometimes is worth it for these companies to literally shower this stuff uh, over these quote-unquote influencers to uh, get this in their hands because if by the off chance that they mention it, like it's totally worth it for the um, cost compared to like a traditional advertising scheme um, where you're doing like print ads or something like that. So a lot of these companies will shower the content creator community with products and they're not paying anything for these advertisements, but they will put this product in your hand and hope that you'll show it. So then it does get shown. And a lot of times it gets shown because there's a sort of reciprocated relationship here. A lot of times these people will show the products because you know what they're actually hoping for is that this will lead to a paid gig. You know, like, uh, they, they sent me this finish. I'm going to use this finish and just kind of give them a taste. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to show this in my Instagram feed and hopefully company X will see this. And then maybe the next time this comes around and we have a conversation, they'll realize how much, you know, attention they got from my post and I'll be able to actually make a few bucks from this. So this is kind of how in, in some circles, how the game can be played, but what this leads to for the consumer and the people who are following these folks is that's an endorsement, whether the person realizes it or not, it's an endorsement about a product that maybe they just received, or maybe they don't, um, they haven't looked at other competitive products, but they're just showing it. And you know, it's, it's actually promoting the product. So I feel like there's a, a potential for the, the trust factor to slowly, but surely erode as a lot of these accounts become very product focused and showing these products and you have to learn who, who can you trust and who's just showing something because they're showing it. Um, the other side of this, and this is something that affected me personally, that's kind of driving me nuts. Maybe this is something that I, I'm starting to hate <clears throat> to use that very strong word. And that is the fact that these companies are becoming a little bit more social savvy that when you post something negative about a product, you are going to, in, in, there's a good chance you will be dealing with that company directly um, contesting your results or uh, questioning your integrity because you gave their product a bad review or you said something negative about their product. That has happened to me multiple times and they take it very personally and then you get attacked by that company, which makes people who are giving honest reviews, which... Sorry, not everything can be good. You have to say something negative about a product at some point. And when you do, you're going to get berated by that company and their fans. This makes it very hard to be motivated to give honest reviews about products anymore. So combine these two things. And I fear for, for the trust you know, that we have in, in our community and our fellow woodworkers and content creators. Um, I feel like that trust is, is slowly eroding and it's hard to know who to trust. And me as a person who's very likely to say something negative and, you know, because I'm just trying to be honest about it, I'm actually going, well, you know what, maybe product reviews, maybe that's just not my thing anymore because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want the headache and it is bad. I mean, there have been some bad experiences. I won't even give the company any airtime by saying the name, but my gosh, some people really have their head up their butts in, in how they're running their companies <laughs> and, and, and handling bad reviews. Um, and it's, it's messy. So I don't know. Do you guys have any perspective on this? Am I making a mountain out of a molehill here or are we moving into rough territory when it comes to honest product reviews? Well, there's a reason I don't really do those. I was going to say, I don't do them anymore. (laughs) So I'm with you. Um, Yeah, I've had, I've never been attacked by the company, but I've been attacked by like, 
the factions who don't support that product or tool. Yeah. And then like, say my, my video, my post, whatever, it almost gets co-opted and turns into this flame war, you know, and then in some instances, because let's face it, in the little boutique hand world, hand tool world, it's kind of different. There are no, you know, faceless conglomerates. This is an individual maker somewhere who is now on my page having to defend his product against this <laughs> onslaught. And I feel terrible. Like I, you know, first of all, it's like, hey, guys, get off my lawn. Like, this is my stuff here. Why are you doing this? But then at the same time, it's like, I feel like I have to apologize to the guy who sent me the tool because now he's having to defend himself. And yeah, it's, it's, it's bad news. The other thing from a slightly lesser perspective, since I have basically stopped doing any tool reviews, it's been like five years, I get contacted directly, kind of like we do here on the show for my impression on a particular tool that someone saw me using in a video. And you guys, I'm sure you've gotten these emails where it's so obvious that they have already made up their mind about something, but they're just like <laughs> crossing an I and dotting a T. Yeah, and if yeah. I don't agree with what they've already made up their mind about, I've actually been attacked. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a <laughs> private thing amongst in an email, but it's like, well, I'm wondering, do I do with, I saw you use product X and this is where I'm trying to do. And it's usually like this, like seven page long email and all the stuff I'm trying to do. And I'm thinking maybe I'm going to go along with product Y, you know, I, I just wanted to see what you thought since you endorsed product X. And I would say, well, I still endorse product X and here's why, 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 and why. Then I get an email back like, well, that's stupid. You know, I really, this product Y is going to, I'm like, why did you even ask me in the first place? Like, so yeah, it, it it's, and then the other, the last thing I'll say on that is so, so many of these product reviews are premature. Yeah. Like unboxing videos. Oh my God. <laughs> Don't even get me started. If you if I saw you unbox it, then I know that you've only used this for like once or twice. So how you know how valid is that review? It's so very obvious that it's just somebody sent you something and you're giving them some reciprocal airtime. Yeah. It's tricky. Um there there's also a a money factor and when a lot of these um folks who who I guess they're in that influencer camp. Like that's part of what they do as part of their, uh, their business model, uh, bringing a product into your social stream. It, it's like, that's, that's the thing you sell, right? So showing a product, I mean, I, I know folks who will not show brands. It's, it, this is kind of akin to putting the tape over the router, you know, because they didn't sponsor the show, you give them zero airtime. So the only brands you'll see on some of these channels and some of these uh, accounts are brands that paid for the privilege to be there. So you 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 lose. These Talk about me now, huh? <clears throat> yes, I'm talking <laughs> about you. Um, but you lose you lose that sort of genuine. Uh, almost unintended endorsement. Oh, look, you know, Matt's using that Triton thing. He's never actually called it out. He's never actually said this is Triton, but you could see it back there and I see him using it all the time. So it must be a good tool because he's actually using it. That sort of endorsement that occurs just because of the the usage, you see the person has it. Um, you're, you're seeing less and less of that because everything is very purposeful in its appearance and, and there are no accidental I just like this, so I use it, and no one. There's no money being exchanged for it. That's kind of eroding as well. Uh, and really, in a lot of feeds, all you're going to see brand-wise is a brand that paid for the privilege to be there, which is a little hmm. a little bit of a different way to look at things as things evolve. So I don't know. Again, the, the, this whole stuff we hate thing. It's a big. That's a big like category of things. <laughs> it's like maybe we should have called it like stuff we're irked about. <laughs> Irked about. <laughs> we're just slightly, we're kind of irked about it. Like I, I wish it wasn't going in that direction, but you know, people, yeah. the thing is, this is a job for a lot of people and this is how they make money. So it's not that you can blame. I, I think the problem is I see both sides of it. I see the necessity for it, but I also see as a consumer, I know when I'm looking, maybe like camera equipment or whatever, and I'm following certain people. It's a, I'm a lot less likely to take the advice of someone who is only allowing brands on their channel that are paying for the privilege to be there. Because how do I know that I'm actually getting the right advice? Like, you, you don't. And I think digging into the person uh, who's behind that, look at their history. And I think just just like you pick your friends, you know what I mean? Like, you pick people who your gut tells you they're actually giving you factual information and honest opinions. And you have to, to choose who to follow based on a lot of that. So, 
All right. Well, I think that just about does it for this show. Let us know what you think about reviews. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening to the show, you follow a lot of folks on Instagram and YouTube. Um, are there people you follow who you go, well, I like what they build, but I would never trust their opinion on a tool. <laughs> you know, or like, are there people you follow who you absolutely do trust their opinions on tools and, and why? Uh, give us some feedback on that. Leave a couple voicemails. I'd love to, uh, to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, Shannon, why don't you give them some contact info and we'll get out of here. Sure. If you want to uh, review Wood Talk, who would you trust to, ah, to give that review? Good question. Oh, boy. Do you trust yourself, I should say, to give a review of Wood Talk? In which case, ah. you know, send us a voicemail. Use your voice memo app and, and email that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or just go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and you can leave a comment there about it. We'd love to hear what you think of the reviews that we give on our show or the reviews of our show yeah. or reviews of just anything. Just send us your most random reviews. That's good. We reviews like reviews. on that diaper pail that you bought the other day or diaper pail. your favorite new Netflix show. That'd yeah. I think it'd be good. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. We love you all. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.